distinguished visiting friends from Buenos Aires, from beautiful Terre Haute, Indiana. There we go. From exotic Waukesha, Wisconsin. <laughs> and most special, most important, direct from heaven, Micah Shepherd, our honored guest. And I'm preaching to him this morning. The rest of you can listen as well. But I want my grandson, three days old, to hear the word of God and hear about Jesus. What a blessing. God is so good. Well, this morning we're going to go to Acts chapter 28, the final verses of this wonderful church history book. Pastor Josh, as he mentioned, has been leading us through a series, an overview, so that we as a baby church can see what a New Testament church is supposed to be, supposed to do. And it is actually a fulfillment of Jesus' promise in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And beginning in Acts chapter 1, Jesus shows how he is going to fulfill that promise through this church age. By this way, he says, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And we have seen that play out and spread out from Jerusalem as we've gone through the book of Acts. And now we come to the last chapter, the last verses. And I just want to ask you, who are book readers, a question. When you come to the last page of a book that you've been plowing through reading, what kind of feelings do you have when you get to the end of your book? Just this year, book reader, how do you feel when you come to that final page? Um, I feel kind of sad because half the time it's it doesn't have a another book, so it's just the end of the series. That's it, yeah, and it's done. And your dad's a big book reader. Dave, what are some feelings you feel when you're done reading War and Peace or some other light reading? Uh, sometimes I want to know more. Yeah. If there is a series, uh, I'd like to read the next volume. Or if this author has written more, I like his style. I, I want to read more. I'm curious. I'm, I've got an appetite. Uh, maybe there's a sense of joy completion. Finally, I've been plowing through this book. I really didn't care for it after I got into it, but I'm determined to finish what I start. And I did it, and I'm done with that book. Good riddance. But then there are times. I know, and as Justice expressed, there's a bit of sadness when you're finishing that book. It's like you're saying goodbye to a friend. The author and his storyline, the plot, the characters that you have been immersed in for days or maybe weeks or months as you've read that book, now comes to an end, and it's kind of time to say goodbye. That was a nice journey. And uh, Mr. Book, you're on the shelf. Maybe I'll come back to you if you're a good one, but. Maybe not, and it was nice knowing you, nice being with you. I feel a little sense of that as we come to the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28. All the wonderful, supernatural, spectacular blessings of God's work in the church. And we come to the end of Acts, we say, well, this must be the end of it, right? The end of the story. But I'm going to put a question mark at that. Is it really the end of the story? It's the end of the book. What we're going to see is it really the end of the story. As we come to this section, we're going to look at verse 16. Paul finally ends up at Rome. He arrives at Rome because of the great trust they have in him. 
his reputation through the travel, even the shipwreck. The Roman soldiers trust him enough to leave him in his own rented house, and he'll have one Roman soldier assigned to keep watch of him. But now he's, he's located, and he's a resident of Rome. This has been what Jesus told him at his conversion back in Acts 9. Saul, Tarsus, you will be my Paul, and you will take the gospel to Gentiles, even the kings of Gentiles. So now here he is. He's arrived at Rome, the center of the world, the capital of the empire. We might wonder, is this it now? Is this the end of the mission? Now that the gospel's got to Rome, period, it's all done. Well, don't be so quick to that conclusion. Let's see what Paul does in Rome and beyond, and let's us, Living Hope Church and friends, let's see what God has for us by way of life lessons on how to be gospel Christians, how to be people on mission until Jesus comes, learning from Paul's example in Rome in these final verses. What's the first thing you do when you get to Rome? You're the Apostle Paul. What's his, what's his first activity when he gets finally to the place that he's been heading for, for years since his conversion? Well, let's take a look at verse 17. If you'll follow along, I'll read verses 17 and following. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing wrong against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Paul's first activity was not a gospel series. He did not conduct an evangelistic Crusade immediately upon arriving in Rome. Actually, three days in. I said, well, that's, is, is, is it not an urgent matter? Oh, of course, Paul knows the urgency of the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature, every nation. Jesus is coming and souls need a savior. We must not waste time. We must be about the Father's business. But Paul also knows the wisdom in strategic planning patient, prayerful waiting on the Lord. And plus, he's had a long trip, including a shipwreck. He needed a little three-day three readjustment, rest, settle in his new quarters, probably some prayer time, and just getting himself ready for what he was planning to do, which is, first step, establish a relationship with people, his people, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek was Paul's strategy with the gospel. To the Jew, the covenant people that God had chosen to be his earthly nation, they will be offered the Messiah and his salvation first, and then every other nation to follow. So Paul calls the Jewish brothers together, and if you notice, he really didn't talk about Jesus. He's not dealing with salvation or spiritual issues. What's he doing? He's trying to clear the air and establish a good understanding, a relationship with these Jews 
so that later he will have a platform for the gospel. He's, he's thinking, they've probably heard about me. Saul of Tarsus, former Pharisee, has become a traitor to the, the Judaism of the day. He turned, he's a turncoat. He went over to the Christian side and he started <coughs> preaching in synagogues and stealing some of our Jewish people into those church assemblies. And uh, he's, he's called, caused trouble around Judea. He's gone up into Asia, even crossed into Europe. And Paul is saying, you know, in order for me to have any kind of standing or hearing for the gospel, I better clear the air with these, with these guys. And he lays it out. He says, you know, I'm not here because they found any fault in me for death or anything else. I'm not here because I am against Jews. I am one. And I have nothing against our nation, but I had to appeal to Caesar because of the way things played out for my safety and to survive. I had to make this appeal to Caesar, which is what brought me here to Rome. So I just want you guys to understand, and let's be friends, okay? I think Paul is pleasantly surprised by their response in verse 21. Notice, they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported any, or, or reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, Paul might have thought this was a little strange. Word hadn't got back to the Jewish leadership in Rome of what had happened in his life and what was going on back in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, a little surprising. Either they're being uh, devious here, or maybe they're just being honest and, hey, we just haven't heard about Saul of Tarsus. It's just not on our radar over here. We have heard about this sect. Christianity was, wasn't called Christianity then. It was called the way. It's called this sect, kind of like we would think of a cult, this, this weird group of uh, religious people talking about some rabbi named Jesus. And we've heard about it, and all we've heard about has been negative things. So if you're the spokesman, we'd like to get together with you, Mr. Paul, and let's set up a time, and we want to hear what you have to say about your religion, your Christian faith. And now Paul has a platform for gospel. The friendship has been established, or at least the air has been cleared, and he's good to go to be heard about Jesus. I think there's a takeaway for us. I think many times there's something to be said about a friendship evangelism approach. Uh, sometimes before we make a convert, we should be making a friend. So a friend gets to know us, trust us, respect us, so that then we can share our faith. Uh, at some point we have to. Just being a friend isn't going to save our friends. Just being nice people and they can see all of our good godliness isn't going to take them to heaven. They have to hear the gospel at some point. But it's a lot easier to be able to communicate to a friend rather than a stranger, certainly an enemy. We'll preach the gospel to everyone. But a wise witness, I believe, wants to have uh, an open relationship, a trusting friendship with the people that we're going to try to share the gospel and that's what we're trying to do here, right? We're looking for ways to befriend people. Last week we were helping the Little League Park in a project that would establish that we're here to, to help our community. We care about uh, the families in our community. We've done some other food handouts. We've done some other 
outreach in the park, just to show people who we are, let them get to know us. And if they see Jesus in us at some point, they'll be curious. I want to hear well, Tell us, what, what is your religious view? What is your Jesus all about? So now we're ready for gospel ministry. Paul is ready to give them the message of Christ. If you'll notice in verses 23 and following, let's see how he does it. Let's learn his ways of, of evangelism so that we, as gospel people at Living Hope Church and around the world today, can be like Paul and how we minister the gospel to our world. Beginning at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So he's got even more than I think he started out with. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. And now the next two verses are a quote from Isaiah 6. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can hard, barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear, hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, now this is Paul speaking again based on that scripture. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We can learn from Paul in the message that he shared, the message of evangelism, the message that we, we share with our friends when we're delivering the gospel, and the message is very simple. It's not rocket science. Our children can be good gospel messengers. Uh, the newest Christian can be a gospel messenger. You don't have to be a pastor who went to seminary and knows a lot of theology. Might be helpful in some ways, but to be a gospel ambassador, you need to tell people this. You'll notice what he did. He told them about the kingdom of God. That's mentioned in verse 23 and verse 31. And about the Lord Jesus. Jesus, verse 23. The Lord Jesus Christ, verse 31. It's all about Jesus, right? Paul would tell the Corinthians, I determined not to know anything among you. And he knew a lot. He was a well-trained religious, he was a rabbi and then a, a Christian theologian, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And later he said, I delivered unto you first of all, and that means of first importance, first order, priority. What did he deliver first of all? Christ died for our sins according to scripture. And he was buried. And the third day he rose again according to scriptures. Paul said, this is first. We need to make the, the big thing the big thing. When we're dealing with the gospel, we're not talking about all the other things that people might question or want to do rabbit trails on, or even the other good teachings of scripture. We're not teaching them how to raise their family or teaching them how to be stewards of their money or teaching them how to uh, uh, 
be a good worker at work or take care of uh, all the other areas of life. The Bible addresses that. That will be teaching later on as discipleship takes place after there's a conversion to salvation. But first things first, and that is Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the king. He has a coming kingdom. His, his eschatological plan, and we won't use that term when we're talking to our friends, but in the end times, Jesus' plan is to return the creation to its original order, to rejuvenate, to regenerate the earth for all the regenerated people who will inhabit his kingdom. And he said, if you're going to be a part of that kingdom, John chapter 3, except a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God includes salvation, but this big overall picture of God that he has a plan for people to be in his new heaven, his new earth, for all eternity with him. Paul said, I want you to understand this, friends. And the only way to that kingdom is through King Jesus. You must turn to him. You must trust him. He's not just a rabbi, not just a miracle worker, not just a prophet. He's that, but he's more. He's the Son of God who came to bring salvation to sinners who will turn from their sin and trust Him. And Paul just laid it out. And you'll notice it was not from Paul's uh, theology or quoting other rabbis or even quoting uh, other apostles, but he, he spoke from the law and the prophets. And that was the scripture of the day. So his gospel was a biblically-based message. He quoted Isaiah, but he probably quoted from uh, the Pentateuch, Moses' first five books. He probably quoted from uh, some of the Psalms that pointed to the Messiah. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Probably included Isaiah 53 at some point. Surely he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Prophetic passage speaking, speaking about the Messiah's atonement. Paul from the scripture showed them who Jesus was. And that's all we have to do, folks. We don't have to answer all the hard questions. Say, well, what if I'm out there talking to somebody and they ask me a hard question about something else? Just try and get them back to Jesus and say, why don't you talk to Pastor Josh about your question? He knows it all. He went to seminary. So take the hard questions to your pastors and you just keep telling people, here's what Jesus, he loves you. God so loved the world, he gave his son for you to be saved. Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. Just keep giving them the scripture that points them to a personal relationship with Jesus. That was Paul's message. Now, I want to help you and see his method. This is helpful for me. I trust it would be helpful for you. Look at the words, and we're going to look at verbs. If you remember from English class, verbs are the action words. That's where the action in the sentence is. So you, you always, and as a Bible student, you want to know the, the verbs that the Holy Spirit's using. Because that's where there's a lot of meaning and action happening. I want to show you the four words that show how Paul communicated that message of Christ. The first word you'll notice in verse number, oh, where is it, verse 23, expounded. We expound the gospel. Now I know what you're thinking. Expound. That sounds like uh, a pastor term. Then you got to go to a seminary and take a class on expounding or exposition in order to do that. So I'll let the pastor do that from the pulpit. I can't expound. Well, wait a minute. This is a word 
It's found as a little scary translation of it. But let me show you how the Holy Spirit used the same word, the same Greek word in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. It's the only place we find it. Dr. Luke is the only author to use this word. He uses it four times. Let me have you go back to Acts chapter 7, if you want to flip there. This is uh, Philip giving a little Old Testament history. And when he's talking about Moses, he just summarizes the story of Moses. You remember Moses as a baby was was hid in the basket in the river because of the Pharaoh's decree that baby Hebrew boys were to be killed. Well, they hid him as long as they could. But you'll notice in Acts chapter 7 and it's verse 21, what uh, Steve, I'm sorry, did I say Bill? This is Stephen's speech. What Stephen said about Moses. When he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. The word exposed there is the same word that's translated expound in Acts 28-23. So you could say when Paul took the scriptures, he exposed Jesus out of the scriptures. Even as baby Moses was exposed when the Pharaoh's daughter found him in the basket, took the cover off, and saw this beautiful baby boy that she adopted. So what are we doing, friends, when we talk to our friends about Jesus? Let's just take the cover off. Maybe their confusion, their past misteaching, or maybe they just haven't been taught. They're just ignorant of anything scriptural. We're taking the cover off and exposing Jesus for who he is and all his glory and goodness. Just expound or expose Jesus. Mm -hmm. Strip away all the things that people have added on and all the misunderstandings and the, the, the stuff that has accumulated through tradition and religious, uh, wrong religion through the years, and just show them the biblical Jesus exposed. In Acts 11.4 and Acts 18.26, the same Greek word is translated explained. They explained the way of God more completely to Apollos, who knew a little bit about Jesus, but wasn't up to speed. And so Priscilla and Aquila explained more completely. They just added to their understanding, gave a little more nuance, a little deeper knowledge, explaining. We can all explain, right? We explain things all the time. We explain to our children when they're young. Don't touch that burner on the stove, especially when it's red hot. We explain to them the rules of, uh, of the household. When they're driving, we explain to them the techniques and the rules of the road, and we explain every day. So why not just take the Bible and explain to people what the Bible teaches about Jesus? So he expounded. There's a second verb in verse 23, back in Acts 28. Testify to the kingdom of God. The word testify is a translation of the, the verbal form of witness. Which is what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You shall be my witnesses or testifiers, if we could make up a word. Same word here. We are testifying to the kingdom of God and of Jesus. How many of you have ever been a witness in a court case? Anybody? Or anybody been on a jury? So you've seen the legal action? Or we've all watched some kind of legal show, real or fictional where the 
the witness is sworn in in the Bible, right? I don't know if they still use the Bible, but in old days, you know, you had to tell the tr swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. And at that point, the witness was not uh, a fiction storyteller. The witness was not trying to make a real dramatic performance and be graded on how well they they theatrically explained the situation. Now, just cut and dry, just the facts, man, just the facts, stick to the facts. What did you see? What did you hear? Relay your experience. Right or wrong, whatever, we're not judging you, we just want to hear your testimony. When we testify of Jesus, we're just telling what we see and what we hear. You don't have to enhance, you don't have to make it sound better, you don't have to help out the gospel and, and pump it up color it so it looks really, really cool. It is pretty cool. It is pretty powerful all by itself. We just are witnesses of what we see and know. So I'm going to say, if you are saved this morning, if you know a time and place where Jesus has become your Savior by your choice, you chose as a sinner to allow Him to be the one to save you from your sin, and you turn to Him in trust and faith, then you have the credentials to tell somebody else how to be saved. You don't have to go through a, a, a class. You don't have to go through a probationary period. Any and every Christian who knows by personal experience salvation by grace through faith can be a testifier of that salvation to somebody else who needs the same salvation. Expound, testify, and we get to verse 31. And the last thing we see of Paul, the last verse, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Proclaim, again, don't think of a man in a pulpit, although pastors proclaim publicly, and to big groups, you know, in, in a formal setting, but the same word is used of informal, uh, private, small group discussions. So we proclaim the gospel not just at the pulpit, but in the coffee shop, or in the backyard, or at the park, or at the workplace, or school, or at the market. Uh, we are proclaimers, and the word proclaim simply means to speak authoritatively as the king's messenger. It's a royal term. It was used of the, the herald. Hear ye, hear ye, thus says the king. We're ambassadors, and King Jesus has authorized us to go and preach the gospel in his name. With his authority, we tell people, this is what the king's, it's not my message, it's not my idea. This is exactly what God is saying to you, my friend, from his word. And teaching, the last term, we teach, all of us teach. Dads teach their boys how to how to work in the car engine, or how to bait the hook, or how to throw a curveball. Moms teach their girls how to bake that cake recipe just right, how to sew. If there is a sewing machine still out there, I'm not sure, but we all teach. So what we're doing when we're teaching is we're guiding and assisting someone to understand a fact or principle. You don't have to have a teacher certification to be a teacher. You just have to have knowledge that you can pass on and help somebody else 
grasp in their mind. And that's what we're doing with the scripture. Patiently, repeatedly, going over the facts and the principles. Real quick survey. Of those of us who are saved, how many of us got saved the very first time you ever had somebody tell you about Jesus? First time, and man, I just got it, and it's convicted me, and I got saved the very first time. Anybody? Not me. Okay. Took more than once, huh? And I won't ask how many of us it took maybe a dozen times for it to finally get through our thick head and our hard heart that we were sinners, we needed a Savior, and church wasn't going to save us, and mom and dad weren't going to save us, and all of our good things weren't going to make up for us, and we needed to be born again by faith in Christ. It took a while for the Spirit of God to finally get me to that point. So I am so glad somebody was patiently, prayerfully working with me teaching me over and over again until the light bulb went off and the Spirit illuminated my heart. Be patient with that one you're witnessing too. Don't give up on them. One more time could be the next time, the final time that they finally see it and want Jesus as their Savior. So that's Paul's message. Paul's method to expound, to testify, to proclaim, to teach. His means did you catch how, how and where he was doing this? The means of his evangelism was not setting up a platform in the marketplace. He would do that, I think, earlier on when he was a tent maker. And that put him out in the marketplace, and that's how he got Priscilla and Aquila to the faith. They were fellow tent makers, and he used his, his workplace to be an evangelism point. But he can't do that here. He's stuck in a house under house arrest. So guess what? His house becomes the gospel center. He has people to his house, these Jewish men who come, come to his place, verse 23, to his lodging. And then for two years, verse 30 says, he wasn't going anywhere, so he couldn't say, well, I can't be a gospel witness because I'm stuck here at home. No, and my home becomes the mission, the mission uh, sending point. Only they're coming. They're not, God's not sending me to them, he's sending them to me. And the household becomes the place for the gospel. And some of you ladies, you know this. You, you're stuck. I won't say stuck. You're at home with kids. I can't get out and be the witness in the workplace. Uh, well, the home is a wonderful place. Hospitality is a great gospel tool. There are people who are confined to home because of sickness or, or they're, they're in their... They're nursing home, or they're just not able to get out and about. So wherever we are, we can still be a gospel witness. We just have to invite people to come where we're at to share the gospel. So Paul uses his home uh, as a tool of evangelism. If you can't get to the lost, let the lost come to you at home, at the coffee shop, meeting them at the park, the playground. Um, this place will be a place where the Gospels preach, and someday people will make the decision to trust Christ in this very room. This will be their birthing room. Even as Michael was brought into life this week in the birthing room, this will be the, the nursery for new babes in Christ. But this is not the only place, or even the primary place, where God will be saving sinners in Bradenton, Sarasota area. Uh, how many of you, another survey, how many of you were saved in a church service like this, an assembly in a church building? Some are. Anybody? Okay. A couple? few? How many of us, like 
me were saved outside of a church building. Like McDonald's restaurant. Does the gospel work in McDonald's restaurant with the smell of greasy french fries in here? Work for me. I didn't want to wait for church on Sunday. That Thursday night, I was so ready to be saved. It had to be right then and there, and I bowed my head, and with my friend helping me, I put my faith in Christ. And I've heard people who've been saved on airplanes at 30,000 feet altitude. I heard the lady saved while she's on her knees scrubbing her toilet bowl. She just had to trust Christ at that moment. Wherever the gospel goes, Christ can save sinners. And including our home place, our home. Well, let's close with the manner of Paul's evangelism. The last thing we read of Paul in verse 31, he's proclaiming and teaching with all boldness. Even though he's in prison, even though he's, at this point, he's been in prison more than once, he's been beaten more than once, he's been shipwrecked, he's, he's been unjustly accused, um, falsely condemned, and it hasn't slowed him down. He's a man who is confident of his Lord and the message he's proclaiming. And with all boldness, he is for two years going over this with anybody who's come by his, his house. With all boldness fulfills what Jesus said in the opening command of Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is not man's self-confidence. This is not we pump up in ourselves. I can do it, I can do it, I think I can do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. No, this is dependency on the Spirit of God indwelling us and enabling us to overcome our self-consciousness, our fear, our reluctance, our laziness, our, our pride, and just be out there courageously speaking the truth in love. They did this in Acts chapter 4, and they took note of Peter and John that though they were uneducated and untrained men, they had this boldness, and they knew they'd been with Jesus. That's what the Pharisees' conclusion was. Somebody that courageous about their faith, they had to know this Jesus personally. They're not making it up. And later in that same chapter, after they got released from, from their persecution, they go back, and if you remember in Acts 4, when it's in verse 31, they're praying that the Spirit of God would fill them with more boldness that they will continue to speak. Persecution or not, we don't care. They beat us, they kill us, we don't care. We've got to die being faithful to Christ and the message. And the Spirit of God filled them. The place was shaken. And it says in verse 31, they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. And the last thing we read in this book is the bold message. The bold messengers are continuing to faithfully proclaim the word of God the last word. In the Greek, it's the last word. In the English translation, it's two words. Without hindrance, that's just one little word in, in the Greek I find out. It, it's the equivalent of us saying, no way. When you say, do you, do you think, uh, uh, you think uh, North Carolina has any chance in the championship game? No way. No way. We're saying, it's not possible. Here, this little word is saying, is there anything that can stop the gospel? Is there anything that can get in the way of God's work of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing all nations together into the body of Christ, preparing for the return of the king and his kingdom? Is there anything on earth 
uh, or in hell that can hinder that work? No way. No way. Without any hindrance. So there is no liberal government policy. There is no attack of an unbelieving critic. There is no hostile enemy or no ungodly secular society or no thorn in the flesh in your world that can stop you or God with his gospel message. So let us be a church that faithfully goes on and on. And as I said, as, as we asked at the beginning, is this the end of the story? Well, I like what comes after verse 31. How about you? I think it's pretty exciting what you see after verse 31. What do you see in your Bible after verse 31? Is a, you're seeing things, uh, brother. My Bible just has a lot of white page after verse 31. Well, you're not looking closely enough. What you see after verse 31 is 2,000 years of church history where the church of Jesus Christ continues the mission. The book ends, the story goes on and on and on and on. And this week, we get the privilege as Living Hope Church to live out Acts chapter 3028. We're probably up to that chapter now, right? We're going to keep writing that chapter. We're going to be faithful to the gospel mission that God has given us until Jesus comes with spirit boldness, with all eyes and focus on Jesus. Let's, one by one, see how God will use us to build his church for Jesus. And it's exciting that we can get a part of not just our area, but the world. Pastor Josh is going to show us, challenge us with something that we can be involved in far bigger than our little Jerusalem.